Okay, I don't know if you can see me. Um, I can't hear you or see you. Great to be with you again tonight. Uh, we're excited um, about being in our final sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's one of those times, really, when you come to the end of a sermon series, you kind of become very familiar with it and you're excited to finish it, but at the same time, you're going to miss it. And I think Jesus' teaching through the Sermon on the Mount has been particularly um, thought-provoking and, and challenging for us to think about what it means to be his disciples in a countercultural way that doesn't reject the world which we live in, but in fact serves it and seeks to be part of it. And with those metaphors of being the light of the world and the salt of the earth, uh, be represent the church or, or, or describe how the church should be in the world. And so for, for, for us, as we come to an end of, of this, uh, we come to Jesus' words here that are very stark and quite challenging. They, they really bring us to this uh, conclusion of, of, of us deciding what our choice is going to be. And we read, we heard read there just at the end, verse 28 and 29, the crowds wondering and pondering what it was that they uh, should do, how, what they could make of Jesus, because he was one who spoke with authority, was one who spoke with, with clarity into these matters, which has been much different than the way in which scribes had spoken to them and teachers of the Lord spoke to them in, in the past. They'd often come away confused, but with Jesus, whilst it was hard, the teachings were hard, they, they, they understood something, if not all, of what Jesus was trying to, to say to them. And so for us, as we think about um, the life that Jesus is calling to, we have this choice. Are we going to be those who are fully sold out for Christ um, and uh, are seeking to, to live for him? Or are we going to be those who um, hear Jesus' teaching, but don't do anything with it. And so this life that Jesus has called us to is a life of obedience to him. Now, not just to him, but also to his teachings. Um, interestingly, in this, this passage, we hear him say um, about his teachings. So, so often we might hear people say, well, you know, I'll take Jesus and the, the person who I think Jesus is, but, you know, some of the things which he says, well, and what the Bible says, maybe I'll leave some of those things behind. Well, what Jesus is saying here is you, you can't just take me in the salvation and lead obedience behind. You, you've got to take both because they're, they're one and the same. Um, I, I speak the truth. I am the truth. And therefore, I'm calling you to follow me, to pick up your cross and to die and to follow me. And so this is a, a radical choice for us to make. Dare I say, people describe it as extremist, though I don't think it is extreme. In fact, we're just following what Jesus asks us to, to, to do. Um, someone once says, said, a cause uh, that isn't worth dying for is a cause that isn't worth living for. And I think there's something true of that. So often we sell ourselves short in the church. We... Um, um, make the path easy. We, we, the call to discipleship is much lower. We, we say, well, just come along and attend church. And as long as you're there on Sunday, then we're really happy. But, but Jesus doesn't leave us with that choice. He doesn't leave us with that reality through these uh, examples he gives us here. 
And it isn't just Jesus' teaching. This is just fair to be say that throughout the Old Testament, this, the covenant relationship between God and his people was one of exclusivity. It was a call to a life of worship. It was a call to submission to God in the teachings in all his ways. There wasn't this separation between, you know, who I am um, and the teachings of Jesus or society and, and the ways of, of God. No, the covenant that they made is I will be your God if you will be my people. And then God gave them the laws to obey and to follow. And so there was some sense of the covenant relationship having, having uh, something of obedience that is part of it. And Paul, Paul, Paul also spoke openly about how Jesus had called him uh, in Acts 20, verse 44, when he's speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says this, I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Later on, um, as he writes to Timothy in the first letter, chapter four, four verse uh, six and eight, he says, for I am being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who love, have loved his appearing. So Paul is saying, look, the life that I lived I've lived for Christ. I don't count anything in my life worth anything apart from what I have done for Christ. And it's so true. This is the, the life that Jesus is calling every one of his disciples to. There's not a choice of saying, well, you know, I'll just believe in Jesus and go to church, but I'll leave the other stuff. I mean, that's just for those who are really committed to Jesus. No, there's one way. That's what Jesus said. There's one way. To, to live for him. And that's uh, in surrender, in submission, and in obedience through faith, by grace, in, in, the, in the works that he has called us to. Jesus says of himself, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he is the truth. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. And in his conclusion of his sermon here, Jesus really rams home this reality. He brings forward this choice in stark reality, exposing what is fake and what is real. He gives examples which bring out four dangers of counterfeit faith and four blessings of real faith. He talks about two gates, two trees, two claims, and two builders. And each of these kind of grows in intensity. And with the two gates, he describes the danger of apathy, um, the idea that all paths lead the same way. Um, and um, the, the second one is the two trees, which describe uh, the danger of deceit. Um, and uh, Andrew spoke a little bit of that last week, how easy it is to be deceived by the truth. Bear with me one second. My, my phone is losing charge here, and I don't know why. Give me one second. Um, and then secondly, then there's two claims. Uh, people claim to know Jesus. Lord, Lord, they say. And Jesus exposes the danger of hypocrisy, this idea of saying something but, but not doing it. And then finally, 
he exposes the danger of folly, the idea of hearing something and not doing it. And that's about foundations, what we build our, our live, lives, life on. So I'm just going to unpack each one of these quickly, and hopefully this will lead us um, uh, to, to understand what Jesus is calling every Christian disciple to. So then first, just the two gates, verses 13 and 14, it says this, enter by the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. What does Jesus mean by this? Well, he means there really are only two paths, one that leads to life and one that leads to destruction. If we pursue the one to life, then we must be on the narrow path, and we must go through the narrow gate. We know the narrow gate is Jesus. And this is far less popular. Why is it far less popular? Because it's hard. Jesus warned us of the danger of apathy in life, this idea of taking the easy route, the, the wide uh, route, the, the wide gate, um, the wide path, uh, going with the flow. And we can, we can drift along thinking that um, all these roads lead to, to, to life. Um, but in fact, Jesus says, no, this sort of uh, living leads to destruction. And one of the challenges for us on this, as we think about where we are, is are we just drifting along this road that we, we think um, leads to life? And, you know, many of the broad roads that kind of leads to destruction are religious roads. They're, they're, they're roads that seem to have something of the truth in them, and they seem to be good or describe something that's good. And yet it's, it's not the narrow uh, be, uh, it's not the narrow path. It's it's a kind of good works path that leads us, and we could be tempted just to be bumbling along that road, assuming that we are on the way to life when we are not. Um, we're not pursuing a life of obedience to Christ, and that's the way in which we can tell the difference: Are we pursuing Christ in a life of obedience, or are we really saying that we we love Jesus, we do religious things? but we're not really doing it in conformity to Christ and obedience to Christ. And don't be fooled in thinking that Jesus just wants you. Oh, Jesus died that he might rescue us and save us. Of course he, he wants us. He wants all of us. Uh, it, it matters the way in which we respond towards him. Jesus is uh, jealous for our affection. He's jealous for our obedience. And that's what happens in a covenant relationship that we've made with him. Uh, we have a relationship of submission and faith and confession and obedience. The salvation that we have has come at a price. We've agreed something with Jesus when we've come to him. We've said we are going to put away the old way and die to ourselves and pick up our cross and, and follow him. And we're going to follow him through faith, confession, submission and obedience. And yes, we struggle as we do that. We don't, don't find that very easy. So this is not about perfection, but this is about where our heart is in this. And it's about um, how, how we um, uh, orientate our, our, our lives around what is important to Jesus. So there's a personal challenge to us there. But also there's a challenge to us as a church as we think about evangelism. So, 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 uh, so often we can try and make the gospel appealing to people in, in a way that it is not. 
um, appealing, or we might, let me put it a different way, we might try to emphasize one aspect of it so it's more appealing, and then later talk about the things that are not so appealing about it. But the way in which we start off, the direct trajectory that we start off with often de defines where we end up. We learned this very early on in our ministry in Edinburgh with addicts. Um, we would, uh, I can remember one um, di discovery, uh, Bible study discovery, where we had uh, 10 folks on there who were from addiction backgrounds. And every single one of them, apart from one, gave their life to Christ. And the one person was quite obstinate. They, they weren't giving their life to Christ. and They weren't ready to, to do that. And we kind of respected that. But the other nine, we started to meet with them and invest in, into them. And one after one after one after one, they all fell away. They received salvation with great joy, but they fell, they fell away. And it reminded us that we just needed to prepare people for the hardship that it was to follow Jesus, that it wasn't an easy thing to follow Jesus. And we wanted to make sure that we, in the future, made it clear the challenge that the path, the narrow path, is a hard path. And for these folks, they were often looking for the quickest fix, to, to, to find uh, um, their, their hope in something that would be like an easy path. Because, um, you know, addictions, are, in one sense, is a hard master, but an easy path to be on because it because it, it is your master it dictates what you need to do and you just follow uh, what it does but when we take up following jesus we're now submitting our will to him and so now we have to be active and not passive in it and so for these folks who come to uh, who seemingly come to faith they struggled and we started to make sure that we um shared the hardships of following jesus with them so that when they came, they were ready for them. Dare I say, at times we tried to put them off and said, look, this is what Jesus is going to ask you. He's going to ask everything from you. And you're not going to want to do it. And I, I, you know, do you think you can do it? And they'll say, yes, 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 we can do it. You say, are you sure you think you can do it? Now, of course, we know that we can only do it by the Holy Spirit. But we were just testing that reality. Um, and so easy it is, isn't it, for us to emphasize the blessings of following Jesus, which are many and abound. But we don't talk about the path being hard, maybe the path being involving suffering and hardship and discipline. So for us, we also must think, how do we share the gospel with people? Are we talking openly about the narrow path that is a hard path, that following Jesus isn't just a... Uh, a rosy life where everything goes your way. No, in fact, we know that the truth is that our flesh, the world, and Satan is warring against us. And we need to prepare those who come to faith for the reality uh, of being part of Jesus' kingdom. The second picture he gives here is two trees, and it's the danger of, of deceit. And this is what he says in verse uh, 15 onwards. He says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good food, fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree does does not bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Now, Andrew spent some time on this this week, 
So I won't uh, spend too much time on this, but just to draw out that there is this second danger, as it were, when we're on this narrow path, that, that we might be um, drawn onto the wide path, and it's one of deceit. And Jesus said that there would be um, many people who would come in who would um, uh, seek to deceive those who were seeking to, to follow God. And Paul talks about this to the Ephesian elders in the passage I read earlier. Um, wolves will come in and seek to destroy. So this is something that is a reality for, for us as, as Christians. Um, and uh, we, we, we want to make the difference between in, in, in sort of this deceit is that we don't want to become hard-hearted saying, well, it's only what I believe. But there are some things that we want to hold in a closed hand and there are some things that we want to hold in an open hand. And the things you want to hold in the close hands are around the person and the work of Jesus. I mean, they're gospel issues. And so false teachers, will, will, in fact, uh, false teachers throughout history have always come in to either attack the deity of Christ or the humanity of Christ or something about his work. And so I think this, we, we need to be aware if there's anything that adds to the gospel, Jesus plus, or anything that takes away Jesus minus, then we need to be concerned about those things. But there are other things. And, and again, Andrew spoke about these, about not becoming um, hard hearted, as it were, towards one or, or, or um, I the word's fearful. Maybe the, maybe the, the word is judge, judgmental, quick to judge. People have different beliefs. So um, these are things we might only uh, have in open hands. But, you know, the, the spiritual gifts and speaking in tongues, some Christians disagree on that. Uh, have, they, have the gifts continued or have they, have they ceased? Worship styles, you know, should it be contemporary? Should it be contemplative? Church strategy, are we focused on gathering or are we focused on, on Sunday? Should we be in the city or should we be local? These are all secondary or tertiary issues that we, we do not need to follow uh, to fall out about. We're not being deceived if other people disagree on that uh, with us. Um, we, we need to listen to people and, and learn from them. But how do we spot it then if people are coming in to deceive us? Well, you know, many teachers have big words and many of these teachers have deep understanding of, of theology, but not a love for God. And the diagnostic on whether we love God is whether we obey him in our actions and with our attitudes. And so in this passage, it says, you know, you're going to know people by their fruit. And the fruit here is, in one sense, the fruit of their, of their lives. Do, do they live in such a way that brings glory to God? Are they, are they uh, seeking God's glory or, the, or their own glory? Are they, are they trying to uh, point you towards Christ or point you towards uh, themselves? How do they respond to, to criticism um, of themselves? That might be another way in which we might see the, the fruit. But there might also be another way in which we might see the fruit, and, is that, and that is, is it a fruit that nourishes? Um, you know, if it's bad fruit, we can suggest that it doesn't satisfy. There's something about their teaching which it's a bit like candy floss. It's nice, it's sweet, but, you know, it melts away in your mouth and then it's gone. It's not filling, it's not strengthening. Um, their teaching is often appealing, but there's no reality to it, no strength to it. It can't deal when things are challenging or difficult in our lives. It only works when things are going well for us. I can remember um, listening to somebody share with me about the teachings of Andy Womack and um, sharing a, about um, how 
the uh, lack of faith has, had, had led to um, uh, something not happening in, in, in their life. And it just made me very sad because, you know, with those sort of teachings, it all it leads to, well, if you had more faith, it would happen. Uh, and it cuts out the, 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 the will of God. Uh, and it makes, makes sort of our, our own faith the thing that is, um, uh, you know, it makes our own faith and it puts a pressure on ourselves to, to have perfect faith so that something will happen. And, and, and such teachings, again, they, they sound like they're good. Yeah, just have more faith. You know, believe in God. If you believe it, we will receive. But the bottom line is actually well, what, what happens when, when we ask for something and, and we don't get it. Where does our faith go there? Well, the only place it can go is a lack of faith in ourselves or a lack of faith in other people. It doesn't really stand the test of time. So the question we might ask ourselves is, who are you listening to? Uh, who, uh, who are your teachers? Where do you go to for sound and trustworthy advice? Does it pass the satisfaction test? Does it pass the storm test? Um, do, do the teachers that you go to pass the accountability and the obedient test? Do you see in their lives something that's worth following? Or is it all talk um, and no reality? My encouragement to you is that if you're not being fed or you're in a place where the, the teaching isn't true and it doesn't ring true, then, then go and find teaching elsewhere. Now, I hope that Second City is a place and we pray that we'll continue to grow to be a place that brings us to, to, to spiritual growth and spiritual satisfaction through, through the word as we teach the full counsel of God and we don't shirk away from the difficult subjects. And um, we build one another up in faith uh, under grace. But if, if not, then speak to us, challenge us, uh, tell us, uh, because we want to be a place that is building one another up. Well, let's move on to the third um, challenge that Jesus gives us, and that is the two claims here, and it's the danger of hypocrisy, and it uh, describes a situation where uh, people are coming to, to, to Jesus and saying, Lord, Lord, and then declaring what they have done for the Lord, and Jesus saying some really difficult words to them, words that maybe they didn't expect would come from Jesus' mouth and has uh, maybe shocked them. And this is what it says in verse 22, verse 21. Now, everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Um, RVG Tasker says this, it's not only false teachers who make the narrow way difficult to find uh, and harder and still harder to tread, a man may also be grievously self-deceived. And this is what it's describing, people who are just self-deceived, people who think that they are followers of Jesus, but they're not. And, and this passage, in some ways, is a little bit potentially frightening to those who, who follow, follow Jesus. Stott says that this passage highlights really the danger of mere verbal confession. 
Here we see people having a creed or affirmation for their salvation. But Jesus says to me, uh, not everyone who says to me, and then he also says in verse 22, on that day, many will say to me, um, and we've got these people who are confessing Jesus as Lord, but Jesus' point is that our final destiny in life is not decided by mere confession, not this day or on the last day when we meet him face to face. Now, a verbal confession of faith is indispensable, but the reality is true confession is more than just the lips. We must confess with our lips, but we must believe in our heart, as Paul wrote. And this is the, the sort of confession that can only come by the, the work of the Holy Spirit, it can only come through regeneration of our own hearts. And so when it comes to um, this verbal confession, Stott says there's four features to it that make it look like on the surface it's a genuine confession. First of all, it's very polite. They say the word Lord, which is a, is, is a most respect, a respectful and courteous term. It means sir. Um, it's also orthodox in the sense that uh, in the Old Testament, the word Lord uh, would be translated Jehovah, which is the name of God. And in the New Testament, the word Kairos, which is a, a title which the Roman citizens used to address the emperor as God. Um, so this idea is that they're professing Christ's deity and his leadership and ownership over them. So something about this that's orthodox. It sounds right as well. It seems to fit um, um, the, 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 the context. But also it's fervent. It's not just passive and gentle or even just quiet. No, it's fervent. They don't just say, Lord. They say, Lord, Lord. They draw attention to the strength of their zeal and, the, and their devotion to God. And then even more than that, it's public and not just merely private. They come to Jesus and they, they say it to Jesus and then they declare that they have done, they've undertaken works in word, in supernatural gifts, in miracles, in exorcisms. Um, and they, they declare that I have done these things in your name. And they obviously, these are public things that they have done in his name. And it seems like Jesus cites here the most extreme examples of uh, a way that somebody might uh, profess Jesus publicly and be known for it as a way of saying, even those things, even those things that everybody can see that you did. And there's no doubt that Jesus is suggesting they didn't do these things, that they're lying about the things they do. He's saying, even if you did those things, if your confession is not one of, of both the lips and the heart, if, you, if, if, if your confession is not one of conformity to Christ, then you are deceived. You do not know me, and I never knew you. I never knew you. It's not like they were on the narrow path and they jumped on uh, to the broad path. He says, I never knew you, and you never know, knew me. And so there's an hypocrisy here. They say something with their lips. They do something with their actions. But in their hearts, they're not conformed to Christ. And Jesus' response to them is strong and scary. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. There's an evilness to it that he's saying. There's a, there's a it's a sort of hypocrisy. This hypocrisy is evil because in one sense, they're saying Jesus is Lord they're pretending Jesus Lord. They're pretending to serve Jesus, to do things for Jesus, but really they're serving themselves. The only reason they're doing it is for their own benefit and for their own glory. 
They put themselves up as examples of, of, of servanthood and holiness. But really, it's fragrant pride. What does Jesus require of us? Well, Psalm 51, David speaks. He says, it's not words. It's not merely words that, 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 that God requires, but it's a broken and contrite heart. He says, my, my sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken a spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. You see, God sees our hearts. We, we can't fake it with God. We can't uh, like fake it, you know, in terms of sort of like saying the right thing, being religious, doing the right thing and being religious. No, God wants a total transformation that starts at the, at the place of the heart, a, a real surrender to him where we put our faith in him and he can tell the difference. The challenge for us is that we can't always tell the difference. Now, in a minute, we're going to see that there are some circumstances where, those, where that difference comes out in, in, the, in the final uh, examples, that he, the illustration that Jesus gives. But often we can't tell the difference. And, and, uh, you know, we, and, and sometimes we, we deceive ourselves. We think that we're, being, uh, we're followers of Jesus. We think we've conformed ourselves to, to Christ. And the challenge here is this is not Jesus talking about um, um, unbelievers not professing Christ. This is people who think they're believers and aren't believers. It's people like you and me. Now, I'm praying that this is not any one of us. I do. But he is describing a reality within the church where our faith is nominal. We say we do the right things. But deep inside, that transformation, that surrender, that confession of sin and need for Christ has not been done. And so we end up just doing religious things and faking it. Now, if you've never had a time in your life where you've come to that place of being broken, having a broken spirit, having a broken heart and contrite heart to your sin, then let me encourage you, come to Christ. Come to Christ now. Move away from just religiousness and move to Christ now and confess that. And if you, if you have already done that and your heart is just weak and divided again, I just encourage you, call out to Christ. Return to him in repentance and faith because your heart has been turned to Christ. Then finally, um, just quickly, um, Jesus um, finishes with uh, um, this illustration that's very familiar to many of us, the illustration of two builders, one who's wise and the other who is foolish. And it's the danger of folly and this idea of having two different types of foundation. This is what he says in verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine does and, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had, foundation, had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell 
and great was the fall of it. Um, if the last illustration was about, the, about saying and not really doing, then this contrast is about hearing and not doing. And so the difference between the wise and the foolish one is not that they didn't hear what they needed to do, it's that they didn't do what they'd heard that they should do. Jesus says, whoever hears these words of mine, um, and so both, both, both the wise and the foolish man, they, they hear the words of God. And this is clearly describing people who are uh, in, in the kind of uh, religious scene. There are people who are coming and hearing the Bible being um, preached. There are people who are reading God's word. Um, but the wise and the foolish man, one does what it says and the other one doesn't do what he says. James talks about this, that we must not be merely hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Um, and so it seems to be that Jesus is making the point that there, it's impossible to have um, a faith in him that doesn't lead to obedience to his teachings. And not just one of his teachings or, or some of his teachings, all of his teachings. And I think this is one of the challenges in the church today. The church has started to cherry pick, cherry pick the, the uh, cultural and personal easy ones to obey and to leave the more difficult ones. The ones that society and our friends may frown upon, the ones that we may personally struggle to follow, the ones that we lack understanding or, or perspective on. And um, we know that it's, not, that, that it's not easy to follow all of Jesus' uh, commands. And the only way we can do it is through faith in grace that we've received, and we're going to fail to do it. So this is not about perfect obedience. It's about the conformity of our hearts, the willingness, the desire to, to follow him. And the foundations of our faith is on the person, the work of Christ, and his teachings, and our faith in obedience to him in his teachings. And again, this is not easy to spot because what we see is two people who build built two houses that um, it seems to be, uh, look the same. Uh, Jesus doesn't mention that, you know, one house was shoddily built. He doesn't mention anything about the build of the house. He only mentions about the foundations. And it's only really when, the, uh, when storm comes along that these people realize that the footings of their home are going to be exposed. The house that was on, on the rock stood firm and the house that was on the sand gave way. In the same way, professing Christians, both genuine and fake, will often look the same. You cannot always tell the difference from their normal behavior or, or their attitude. But you can only tell when you get up close or when a storm breaks. And this is one of the reasons why I really want to encourage us in close community to be an encouragement, to be a help to, to one another. Because it's in that place where we start to see the reality of who, who we really are. And we start to see the things that we struggle with. And we start to see the way in which we handle those situations. And we're able to get alongside each other and to build each other up and to encourage one another. But also, we may spot at times a faith that doesn't look like it's rooted at all, particularly when the storms come. How many people, I don't know if you know people, who when something really difficult come, they just, they just turn, they blame Jesus. They say, you know, 
Why hasn't Jesus done this for me? I put my faith in him. I gave my life to him and this difficulty's come. And their faith in him is exposed as something that is self, uh, just merely self-gratifying or self-affirming. Um, uh, and so um, we're, we're left with these four pictures, uh, challenging pictures of people who are in the church. I think Jesus is just declaring these to the people that are listening to him, people who are the, uh, his disciples, but also the, the Pharisees and then the, the people who are around. And they're aware that there's something not quite right with the religious establishment. And Jesus is saying, no, to follow Jesus, uh, to follow me, to be part of the kingdom, isn't just about following some ethical rules or some ways of, of, of living or, or un, um, um, trying to imitate some good things or modifying our behavior by sheer will. It's a life of obedience and submission and faith in me. And it's a hard way. It's not an easy way. And so Jesus calls us to this radical way of living and following Jesus. The life of obedience is as dangerous, it's distinctive and it's demanding from us. And we should not be fooled that Jesus is calling us to an easy life or that Jesus is calling us um, to, to something that is just merely lip service. No, he's calling us to give our life to him, to surrender our life to him as he surrendered his life for us. So he gave his life up for us. That's the deal that he makes for, 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 with us. Our life of obedience to him for his life and death for us. And so he calls us to this, this life of surrender, of following him. And it's going to take a, a paradigm shift for many of us who've been maybe brought up to think that it really is just about going to church or it's just about reading the Bible or being disciplined. No, Jesus wants you all. He wants every part of you. Have we settled for religion that is mere words and intellect? Have we forgotten the radical, sacrificial sub, um, uh, submission to Christ? Have we been so concerned at times with uh, a social gospel that we have become comfortable with our own inaction? Have we prioritized belief over service of each other and the poor? Well, the gospel life, the life that Jesus is calling us to, is a life of repentance and faith under grace. When we come to him in repentance and faith and we recognize our sin, when we surrender to him, we recognize it's only him who can meet our immediate need um, and our, our condemnation under sin and death. And that we can only live by uh, daily coming to him and allowing him to, to, to give us what we need, give us our daily bread. It's when we live that way that we are freed to live this radical life. To, to live free, to speak for him, to, to serve for him, to be for him. And this is what Jesus has been saying in, 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 in the, the Sermon of the Mount. My ways, they're not your ways. My kingdom is, is not your kingdom. And the only way that we can live this life is if we totally surrender uh, to Christ. At the end, Jesus um, sorry, Matthew describes the way people responded to Jesus. And it says this in verse 38. And when Jesus finished, 
these sayings, the crowd were astonished at his teaching. So he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So the question for us as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, how are you going to respond to Jesus? Are you all in for Jesus? There, there is no other way. Now, when I say all in, I don't mean that you are our failures, that you, that you will reach perfection. I mean, are you all in with your heart? Are you committed to do whatever he asks you to do? Are you committed to follow all his ways, no matter how difficult? Are you willing to reorientate your life around his priorities and his purposes? Are you, are you willing to commit to him and his body and all that he, he would ask us to do? Jesus' call is not an easy one. He says that we need to pick up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow him. Are you on the narrow path that leads to life through Jesus, or are you on the broad path, the religious path, the irreligious path that is easy? Don't be fooled. Only one leads to life. The other one ultimately leads to death. Well, we're going to go into our groups now and have an opportunity just discuss this. I understand that what I've said could be a little bit concerning for us because it's Jesus speaking to those who are religious and we are religious. Um, so I don't know if this will hit home to anybody. I pray in one sense it doesn't because we are firm in our faith in him. Um, but you'll have an opportunity to talk and chat with, with other people.